0: Hey everyone, this is Vernon Ross, host of the Social Strategy Podcast and author of Master Your Message, the guide to finding your voice in any situation. And the podcast today is brought to you by Stuff I Do. So I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about Podbean. Uh, You guys know that I do some stuff with Podbean, Uh, do some enterprise sales stuff with them. And of course, I am an affiliate with them as well. If you want to sign up for Podbean, just go out to podbean.com forward slash V-R, V as in Victor, R as in Ross. Rouse. And you get 30 days free on me. Um, yes, I am feeling a little silly, but uh, hey, it's been a while since I've been behind the mic recording for my own podcast. I've been on quite a few other ones, but I took a little bit of a break. Actually, a little long of a break. Um, not because I needed a break from podcasting, just things worked out that way. New mics, bad Macs, new Macs, new Mac crash, hard drives, and all kinds of technical, fun stuff going on. But you guys are really going to love this interview. Uh, I can't wait till you listen to it. It's talking about networking, and with podcast movement coming up, and the Financial Bloggers Conference coming up, and DC PodFest coming up in November, and uh mapcon the midwest atlantic podcasters thing you guys are going to be doing a lot of networking and you really need to think about how are you going to be making those introductions and talking to and meeting the people that you want to meet, whether you're a solo show or you do interviews, you need to connect with other people in the industry. And these events are the things to do it. So definitely make sure you take some notes with this episode. It's a good one and it was a lost episode. So many problems with this episode and it almost not getting published. So I just wanted to make sure I took some time to kind of jump in here with a quick preview. I actually wasn't going to do one, uh, but I did want to get in here and let you guys know some of the stuff that's going on, some of the stuff I can't wait to do, uh, especially in L.A. when I get to L.A. and Anaheim. I'm not going to Disney World, but it is definitely going to be a fun week connecting with all of you guys out there that listen who attend podcast movement. And if this is going to be your first time, I can't wait. I've got a couple uh good friends, clients of mine that are coming from Legendary Films. Those are the guys that are responsible for their Critical Role podcast and The Nerdist and Amy Poehler's podcast and... I'm happy that they do some stuff with me and I can help them be successful in their podcast. So that kind of stuff is fun and I really, really do enjoy it. And since I've been off the mic for a while, I figured I'd get started with distracting you a little bit from the episode and talking way too long at the beginning because you guys know how much I hate it. So I'm gonna go ahead and get into the episode, guys, and I will see you on the back end. Hey, everyone, this is Vernon Ross, and welcome to the Social Strategy Podcast, bringing you the best in online business, social media, and good old-fashioned networking. And guys, today, got a a guest on, Matt Holmes, handshaking Holmes. I was really thrilled when I saw that name. I'm like, oh, this is going to be an interesting interview. (laughs) So (laughs) Matt is an entrepreneur, speaker, author, and he is a world record holder. We're going to get into that as well, during this interview, he's got a video series called the Handshaking Video Series. And it it features top entrepreneurs on networking and branding strategies. He's growing a business where he's connecting with clients and helping them build their brands online with networking. So this is going to be an interesting interview conversation because we're going to get into the aspects of networking, how you can integrate it into your business and how Matt's built his business around talking about networking. So Matt, welcome to the show, man.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be here.
0: Yeah, yeah. so tell me about this world record.
1: Yeah, so um, in January of 2016, I, uh, I I had a bucket list. You know, we all have those things on the bucket list that need check marks. And obviously, for me and, and many others, breaking a world record is on that bucket list. Yeah. <laughs> and um, at that point, I had been running the video series for just about a year. <clears throat> we I mean, we, had, yeah, just about a year. And um, I figured if I'm going to break a world record, I should try to get my business some extra exposure. So I started searching the Internet on what, what world records I thought I could, you know, maybe have a shot at or maybe not get myself killed doing.
0: <laughs> All right. That's important. And
1: um, I found a couple different ones and finally narrowed in on the world's longest handshake, which is done between two. Um, you can't stop shaking hands. The current world record was at forty-two and a half hours um, with these folks um, in Africa, and they had done it to bring light to their school. And I thought that was my best shot. So um, I, I found a partner. We were training. We we stayed up. You know, we tried to stay awake. And um, I struggled with that. I was just totally not ready. And then we trained two more weeks. two days before. And I had to find a new partner. <laughs> <laughs> so I found a new partner. And the day before the venue, University of Denver, fell through and we, we found a bar. I, I walked into a bar where I had some friends and said, give me a beer. I need to find a venue or cancel breaking the world record tomorrow. And um, I asked them, do you know anyone who could help? And they pointed me over to Steph. And it turns out the bar had this upstairs bar. I mean, anyway, I'm, I'm going on. I'm, I'm No, sure no, keep going. Uh, I'm sure the listeners want to hear, well, Matt, how did you take a whiz? That's everyone's first question. <laughs> but um, anyway, this bar had an area upstairs where we could reserve for you know up to 48 hours. We were attempting 48. We wanted to really blow the record out of the water. And um, we ended up stopping the timer at 46 hours is how long we shook hands for. And we do get breaks. You get breaks every hour. And the challenge with this world record is not actually – how long you shake hands? It's how long can you stay awake in a public setting with with, with your arms moving? I mean, it was a we had, <laughs> we had a doctor come in at thirty six hours to make sure we were doing good, and then you know after forty two and a half hours when we broke it, we we pushed for about another hour and we we broke the world record at forty three and a half hours after we deducted breaks. At forty six hours, we deducted breaks. It was for exactly forty three and a half, and holy crap. If I break another world record, I hope it gets done in an evening rather
0: than a whole damn weekend. Right. That's awesome, man. That's funny. That's a funny story. You know, it's always interesting when people break world records. I saw a guy on the Today Show a few weeks ago that was like had the record world record for breaking balloons with his mouth or popping balloons with his mouth. (laughs) (laughs) He actually, I think he actually did it. (laughs) <laughs> it didn't look like he did it because he, there were quite a few that didn't pop, but apparently he already holds the record. So he was just trying to break his own record. <laughs> so it was, that's
1: funny. It was, definitely, you know, this, this weekend I was hanging out with a buddy who almost broke the world record with me. And he said, Matt, we should, we should break your, you and Juan's world record.
0: <laughs> there you go. There you go. I was like
1: No, I got to find a different one.
0: So now how did, how did you tie that to your business?
1: So we got a ton of exposure from it. You know, the backlinks, We I, I promoted it on handshaken.com. Mm-hmm. I think it's still live, handshaken.com slash world record. So it drove a ton of web traffic. Um, Ten news sources wrote about us, including nine news, which came in with a huge video camera. And they're like, what the heck are you guys doing here? <laughs> and um, yeah, we we aired on TV for a short, a short few minutes. Denver Entrepreneurs breaking a world record. Um, we kind of did it to celebrate the startup scene here. So that way it, it made it a lot more fun for other entrepreneurs to get involved. And we got a ton of support from the community, from other entrepreneurs, from other startup companies. And we really, we, we brought them all together, you know, that whole weekend, anyone could come by and encourage us and laugh at us and, and, uh, celebrate entrepreneurship. So that's kind of how it tied back to my business. Oh,
0: that's interesting. So you, um, Instead of it just being a marketing thing for just your business, you actually used it to basically help create a, a sense of community within the startup community there.
1: Exactly. And, and no matter how much we take the focus off my business, it's still the world's longest handshake. And if you see, if you see Matt and you see your handshake, you're thinking about us. So it, it actually worked out better than I was expecting.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, no, that's awesome, man. Some notoriety around that, and it still it relates right to your business. So you're always going to get traffic from that. Uh, you know, I guess from that posting on the Guinness World Record website.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, only unfortunately, only about a thousand records make it into the book, mm-hmm. and there's there's forty thousand Guinness World Records, I believe. And their turnaround time it just takes forever. So um, highly recommend if you're thinking about it, just throw in an application because. You know, you still got months and months before you even start the process of planning. Right. For anyone listening who's thinking about it, because it's, you know, if people talk about it, it's a, it's a good thing to do.
0: That's awesome. So now, since you're talking about the startup scene, your current company, how are you guys a startup? What do you do? Um, you know, tell me a little bit about, you know, how you got this thing started and why why the whole handshaking thing.
1: Yeah. So a little bit about my background um, and how I got to Shaking hands professionally is. Uh, I, I came up here to Denver about ten years ago. I studied psychology, but before I graduated undergrad, I liked entrepreneurship. I was flipping motorcycles and cars, and making my own money, and I figured I should go back and get my master's in business. So I did that, and before graduating that, I realized okay, I actually need to start a big boy company if I'm actually going to be an entrepreneur. Otherwise, I'm going to be stuck interviewing for jobs just like I was after undergraduate. And this time, I have a hundred thousand dollars of student loans.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: So I don't know if that was a good or bad thing, but um, I, I guess they. I mean, I, I, you know, you're gonna you're gonna launch a business no matter your financial situation, and money is, I, I think, not something that gets in the way. I mean, th- at the end of the day, launching a business is about solving problems, and money is just one of those many problems you're gonna have to solve. But anyway, I launched a real estate company before graduating. Um, we bought single-family homes with out-of-state investors. And if anyone's kept an eye or a pulse on the Denver real estate market, we've been blowing up. 100,000 people moved to Denver County per year, and I don't even think that's including people moving to the, the more affordable places outside of the Denver County area. So our properties were appreciating at four dollars to $8,000 a month. Oh, wow. But I couldn't figure out the cash flow. So for oh, the first year of that of doing that real estate company – I couldn't pay myself. Now I was always fascinated by credit, and I had a ton of credit cards I think I had 80, 90,000 dollars of credit card limits that I could you know I could, I could live off of that if I needed to. You know, I had enough to pay myself like 200, 300 dollars a month for the entire first year and, and then some. So I maxed out a ton of credit card debt, and I think the grand total was 85,000 dollars. Oh wow. So I I always love going to conferences, hearing speakers talk about how they were thirty thousand dollars in debt. I'm like, man, that's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and you know, they're like, that's including my student loans. I'm like, what? That's that's not right. including my student loans. But at the end of the day, I knew I was playing my my company was a little different because I was playing with assets. You know, I was there's was a, a good amount of investing in assets in my business. So I knew I had a big safety net. You know, in fact, in fact, uh, two years into it, I refinanced one of the properties and pulled out cash and bought a condo with cash in my mid twenties, and it, it was that was a crazy feeling. I raised over a hundred thousand dollars and bought this condo and watched my bank account go down to, uh, you know, a few hundred.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: And um, I just kept building this real estate business, just fully leveraged. And finally, once we had enough properties where I could pay the investors, pay the utilities, pay pay for average repairs, and survive if you know we didn't have a tenant in every single room, uh, that's when I realized, wow, I can actually pay myself a comfortable rate. You know, this is heading in a good direction, but I'm not happy at all. I built a business in, in the wrong industry. I hate residential real estate. I, I had sued tenants who wouldn't pay. I was sick of dealing with contractors that wouldn't fix the problem a hundred percent. I just Or just they they wouldn't even show up. I hated it, Vernon. I hated real estate, man. <laughs> like, it's so fun to talk about the idea of investing, but the actual day-to-day, I hated it.
0: So what made you get into it? If you Did you not realize – you didn't realize what you were getting into when you first got into it?
1: No, that's actually a really good question that I probably skimmed over. In undergrad, I was flipping cars, right? I would buy low and I would sell high. But at the end of the day, cars are much less expensive assets and they depreciate. And if someone wants to rent them from you 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 can't really rent them mm-hmm. and then I looked at real estate and I had already bought my first house when I launched this company that's that's kind of what showed me the potential and I saw my own house appreciating a ton, and I saw that I could rent it out to friends and and it was appreciating, and it was worth you know two hundred three hundred and then four hundred thousand dollars in the period of just a few short years. And, uh, that's when I, you know, it's, I got to get in real estate. (laughs) I can actually, cause with automotive, I could not figure out how to do it full time. And then with real estate, I decided I'm doing it full time. I'll figure the rest out later. And it did take me some time, but I did figure it out. Interesting. But then of course, after successfully, you know, making the finances work out enough for me as one person, that's when I was able to take a breath and realize, you know what? I don't like this either. (laughs)
0: <laughs> All right
1: yeah and and i looked at what to answer your question now you know with lots of run-on sentences and taking hopefully not too much time time from your listeners is after i sold off most of the equity in my real estate company i i didn't know what was next but i looked at what i was doing when i wasn't fixing stuff that was breaking in these houses mm-hmm. and i was i was introducing other entrepreneurs I was talking to my friends who were just starting up and I was pairing them with someone who had started up a year ago and creating a mentorship for them. I was building communities of entrepreneurs and uh, I didn't I didn't quite realize that yet, but I knew that I wanted to go and do more of that. Right. So I, I started this video series because it turns out when you ask to interview someone about th- their success, they're a lot more likely to sit down with you than if you ask them to coffee. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sure you know that as a oh. podcast so host too, Vernon.
0: Oh yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly. But uh, you know, I, I started interviewing – I went through a startup accelerator called Founder Institute, mm-hmm. and I started interviewing the mentors there. You know, I, I mean before I even started interviewing the mentors, I interviewed friends. I interviewed a family member to kind of get the wheels turning on how this video series was going to work. Um, worked with a few different video editors to help me on that side. And then I just started – honestly, I was working on my personal brand, and I didn't even know it. I was pushing a ton of content out there on what I could learn from today's top entrepreneurs. And eventually we got billionaires and members of Congress on our video series. And it was actually when we had our third billionaire, um, Jeff Hoffman, the founder of Priceline, on it. And after the interview, I said, Jeff, why did you sit down with me off a cold message on LinkedIn? And he said, well, Matt, you have a strong personal brand. You know, you, you had blog posts on topics that I'm interested in. Within a second, I could see who you were and what you were like on your video series. Of course, I'd sit down with you. And that's when Handshake shifted for me. That's when I realized, oh my gosh, okay, Matt, you've learned how to network. You can get in front of people. Now how are you going to help other entrepreneurs do that? Mm-hmm. And then I set out and now we have an array of services to help other entrepreneurs get cold meetings with billionaires and also to drive a per- their own personal brand to drive more leads for their startup.
0: That's interesting. What did that email look like?
1: On um, the email to Jeff. I I could pull it up on LinkedIn if we wanted, but most of my emails were pretty concise. They're about two to three sentences. It, the the subject line would be invitation to be on the handshake and video series. Because originally I would ask people, will you be a guest? And that's lame. Mm-hmm. That may that, that doesn't give my video series the credibility that it deserves. Um, you know, billionaires have been on this. This is a special invitation. And if you don't accept it, you're crazy. So um that's the subject line and my and obviously my reason <laughs> behind it. <laughs> and then uh and then the content of the email or LinkedIn message would typically be, hey, I interview top entrepreneurs on networking. Will you be a guest of my video series for fifteen to twenty minutes? Give them a time frame. Um, or you know, that's the most important part is exactly what I need from them and uh and then what date works well for you. A very simple way for them to respond because these people are they go through their emails very quickly. They get more than, than I do. And I'm trying to respect their time. And right. then I would follow up, you know, three to five times after that. And maybe then, because unless I hear a no, which I did, I've, I've, heard, I've heard no's. I asked Mark Cuban to be on my video series. He said, no, thank you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, so nice we'll, we'll get Mark one day. <laughs> right,
1: we'll, we'll get Mark one day. But um, I guess that day was not then.
0: <laughs> right, right. So you have the founder of Priceline on your show. What yes. happens after you put that show up?
1: Uh, you know, so it, it all depends. If, if we don't do a good job of promoting it, because um, when we started taking on clients, we kind of started to ignore the video series part. of you know, our we had a method of publishing, promoting, notifying the guests. You know, scheduling out the next interviews. And honestly, when we started taking on clients, that's my focus. So that video, I think it's un—I think it's unlisted. Actually, that one's, you know, I, that one has not been promoted quickly. So I'll be honest, but. Some of the previous videos, like uh, John Paul DeJoria, the founder of Patron and Paul Mitchell hair products, mm-hmm. some of those are very popular and help us drive a ton of traffic from YouTube. And then some of that comes back to Handshaking, where entrepreneurs can learn how we can help them get meetings with those guys.
0: Right? Do you think that you you uh, were able to directly book business from those uh, from any of those interviews?
1: You know, I will be honest. I'm, I'm not sure. We've definitely closed, you know, cold leads from the internet, but. Right now we have two people full time and two virtual assistants in the Philippines and we don't, we don't track all that. We don't do a good job with that. I I don't have the manpower to track that down as much as I'd like.
0: Right. Right. Well, you know, and that's, it's good that you say that because I think a lot of entrepreneurs when they're getting started, especially with podcasts and uh, video shows, video based interview shows that it may bring activity and exposure to your business, but it doesn't necessarily directly equal business, or you may not have time to measure it when you're actually deep in the trenches and working on your business. And it's just one of those things that you recognize that at some point we're going to get someone else to take a look at this and help, you know, quantify all the activity that we do with the show to make sure that, you know, we do this, we interview this type of person, we get this out of it. So no, that's, that's interesting that you say that. And I think people will get some value from hearing that, you know, it's not all you know cut and dry and (laughs) everything's not you know a hundred percent laid out like people want you to believe over the internet that oh well you know we do this we do that and then this happens
1: yeah without a doubt you know and and one thing i'd also want to add to your point vernon and for your listeners who you know are worried about the numbers worried about their structure is it's also not about the numbers you know um, we, I've had one guest who liked what I was doing so much that they are now sponsoring my meetup group for a thousand dollars a month. And so it's, it's really about the quality of connections of, of the content that you're pushing out there, whether it be with the a, a relation between the guests and hosts or just, you know, the hosts and one of their fans, because I, I've also had someone, uh, a WeWork opened up here in Denver and I went to see it and someone came running up to me and was like, "Matt, Matt, do you remember me? We met once here. You know, i had been following your content. Congratulations on on your new office and small co-working space. And and the world record in January. I'm sorry I couldn't make it. And they had just been following everything. And they were dying to work with me. And it it's about those types of connections, you know, more so than how many people watch it. Who right. cares if people have it playing in the background while they're focusing on something else if it makes your numbers look better? I don't care about my numbers. I care about the people who want to who, who love what I'm doing and, and who I love what they're doing and about what I'm doing, making a connection.
0: No. And I think that's the point of it too, is that you're building a community online, offline and the video series helps tie that together. So something that you said was interesting when you sort of started doing the video series, being a startup entrepreneur, you didn't say, so yeah, we shot this video series and then I learned how to edit it. Why did you choose to just go the route of grabbing a video editor?
1: <laughs> um that's a good question cuz stuff like that in my real estate company I I couldn't afford that cuz we we spend about $200 per video and uh, I think that costs a lot more you know we recently launched a podcast and I'm seeing how much easier a podcast can be in terms of the financial investment especially when you're starting out and you know after that $200 that doesn't even include paying someone to optimize your YouTube SEO um which is a whole different cost Right. But uh, yeah, I, I think I, I exited the real estate company and I opened up Premiere and tried to edit one of those videos for about five minutes. I shut my computer screen, walked off to happy hour, and and asked my friend if they knew a video editor. I cannot. I'm not patient. I'm really bad with details. Um, I'm not passionate about about video editing. But at the same time, I, I needed to find a video editor that shared the same vision. Mm-hmm. That you know, I needed them to have the vision on exactly how to edit the video and piece it all together. But we needed to share the big vision of the handshake and video series, which is, you know, quick, concise tips with today's top entrepreneurs, exciting, goofy, um, engaging, lots of b roll. Um and, and that's that's luckily what I've found. I have two or three amazing video editors that we work with today, but I've worked with a lot and um, you know, they've produced videos but they haven't been engaging or or they they've had typos. I remember one of the videos with Jeff Hoffman. The reason that video got pushed back is the, the video editor had co-founder of Priceline misspelled for one of our <laughs> oh one God. of our billionaire interviews, and this was after the second round of revisions. So, if I'm working with a video editor, and and we've already been through one round of revisions, and there's a typo in the title, you don't have vision. You're just doing the bare minimum you can with your job, and you're not right for working with my company. So, we had to fire those guys.
0: Right. Oh wow, that's interesting.
1: But you know, it got to a point. I'm sure you can attest this too, Vernon. Is once you start to push a lot of content out there, you can actually get overwhelming to review it. When yes. it's your first one and you review it, that's easy. But when it's your one hundredth, when it's your fiftieth, that's that's when you're like, I need some help reviewing this in a new set of eyes.
0: Right. No, that's that's interesting. So, talking a little bit about um, you being an author, what do you think that's done for your business, and and would you suggest that for you know other guys in your in your position? You've got a startup. Uh, you're just starting to take on new clients. I'm not sure, like, so when did you write the book and how has that impacted your you know, your business and what you do?
1: Yeah, well, this was still before we were taking on clients when I wrote my book. And, you know, everything I was doing back then was really just blowing up my personal brand, breaking world records, writing books about handshaking and networking. And what what all of this was allowing me to do was, number one, get in front of hard-to-access people. And number two, relate with them once I'm there in person with them. You know when I can when I can joke with this guy doing ten million dollars in sales per year and ask him about his book and ask him, well, now that's a great title was was the title always this title? what did it, what was the title before you published it and got these printed?" And um, that's really being able to relate with them as you know we're both authors, and I was trying to do things that other big name brands would do mm-hmm. and uh, i I think that's the biggest perk. But, you know it adds a little bit of credibility when you add it to your LinkedIn profile. Um, As far as book sales, you know, that's, that's not what I'm about. I give these books out for free in hopes that people will learn about our business, become clients and let us help them network better and drive more leads from their personal brand. But, but uh, you know, I'd say it's just, it's credit, it's a little bit of credibility. And if you're networking and running around like I was, it it helps you relate a little bit better with other authors. Those would be the two biggest uh, values I've seen from writing my book, which which I don't think is the same value everyone else
0: has. <laughs> well, you know, I, I do hear a lot of that from authors. Um, and, you know, a lot of people have books, but they really use them to help forward their brand. It's Some people call it a fancy business card. Um, it depends on how you're using it. Sometimes it can be. It can open up opportunities for speaking gigs and stuff like that. So, you know, it, and like you said, it it gives you more credibility in the marketplace when you can, have a book, and then you're also, you know, if you're talking to a New York Times bestselling author or someone else like that, you've got a book, they've got a book, you have a level of um, camaraderie that you can refer back to when you're pitching this person to be on your show or you're trying to relate to them in a conversation. So, yeah, that's all part of the whole networking thing, right?
1: Totally agreed.
0: All right, so, you know, when people talk about networking and you're you're going to an event, the first thing you hear is, okay, go to this event, network, kind of know what you're going to do when you go in and, and have a plan and all, all the stuff that people tell you, the general stuff. Why do you think people aren't successful when they go to networking events after uh, the event?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I have a couple blog posts with that. I'll send you afterwards to, to put in the description of people are really looking on networking at events, but I think it comes down to a few, a few different things. You know, the, the number one thing you want to look at is what event are you going to and why that's the first thing that a lot of people overlook sometimes they just hop on meetup and I think you know a lot of people including myself sometimes I would go to events to help find my vision to help find my purpose what am I trying to do I know it's somewhere in this space but what am I doing and and I didn't have a vision for that event I didn't know why why I was going and what I was looking for but but going helped me find it but obviously the best way to go about these events is Know why you're going to that event and what you want to accomplish there and go and do it. But so, you know, trusting that all your listeners and even you and me are somewhere in between that at, at different points, I would say make it about the other person. Like if you're going to that event with business cards and you're shoving your business cards down people's throats as soon as you meet them, I think that kind of turns people off nowadays. You know, take someone else's card, you know, collect other people's cards if you're interested in what they're doing and tell them you'll find them on LinkedIn. And um, let them talk about themselves before you try to tell them about your business and what you're doing. And some of them will be a fit. And uh, and then make sure you follow up with them. You know, add them on LinkedIn. Email them two or three times minimum. Shoot them a text if their phone number is their mobile on the card. I always like to, you know, a lot of people. Like when I met Pat Flynn for the first time in Denver, mm-hmm. this was last year. And, and I asked him, I said, hey, you know, sometimes I'm in San Diego for conferences. Can I, can I text you for a happy hour when I'm there? And and I and I, I got I got his number. Everyone else got his email, and I think that kind of just ties you a little closer with the person. And then sure enough, I think you and I were both at Podcast Movement. And then I'm able to text Pat Flynn, "Hey, uh, are you in town already?" And it's I get a faster response than an email. You know, I, I had that opportunity for a happy hour more so than everyone else when I'm trying to connect with honestly, in my opinion, one of one of the top, the top podcasters out there. Right. And um, and he says, "No, I'm working on my slides, and I can offer, hey." Let me know if I can look over your slides with you if you need an extra pair of eyes. It's just a little bit more efficient. So, uh, I don't mean to spend all the time on the phone number, but I do feel strongly, you know, get their cell phone and text them if possible. And, but going back to my point on, on networking, make it about the other person and really listen to them before you tell them about your business. Because if you do that, you'll know if they're a potential lead. And if they are, they'll be really excited to hear about your business.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's, I think that's good advice as far, especially as far as the phone number is concerned. Because it sets you apart from from everyone else, and he was willing to give it to you basically because of the way that you asked
1: agreed, agreed
0: and now that's a contact that you can refer back to when you're talking about the whole networking thing, you said um you know send send two to three emails minimum why Why would you say two to three emails minimum
1: Well, you know especially as you start to deal with these business owners that are doing ten million one hundred million, or dare they be billionaires themselves? You know they're getting hit up by a lot of people, and um, if you are well, number one, if you're following up with leads, if, you're, if for us early stage entrepreneurs, you got to follow up a few times, but then especially people who are getting ten times, a hundred times the emails that you're getting, it's about making it convenient for them. And I think a big downfall that everyone, that most entrepreneurs suffer from, is they take no response as a no.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I don't, I don't think that's the case. You know, with Mark Cuban, I hit him up a few times before he told me, no, thank you. And, you know, he he might have said yes. And he he probably will in the future if if I bother him a little bit more. But, you know, and there's lots of other, you know, Brad Feld, a venture capitalist here in Colorado. I emailed him a ton before he finally said yes. And it's about making it convenient for them to quickly understand who you are, what you do, and why they'd be involved with you. And sometimes, you know, a few email reminders can be helpful. Sometimes a few email reminders can show them that you are that serious about having them on your show or about that coffee meeting. So uh, it's, it's about making it convenient for them. And in, unless they tell you that you're being – that you're, unless they say no and then you keep asking them, it's just <laughs> right. polite pers- – yeah, it's just polite persistency. And, and that's a feature that you know all the top entrepreneurs that I've interviewed definitely don't let go after the first email.
0: Right, exactly. So now, what does that first email look like?
1: um in, in my case or just after a networking event for, for, uh, for uh,
0: after a networking event in general what do you think that first email should look like for people
1: yeah well for me it's it's always that addition to linkedin because that well i i post a blog every week and so if i add them on linkedin they will see my blog posts or they there's a chance they'll see that every week and that that also adds a picture to my name on linkedin so i'm a big fan of that but then of course if you want to start your own separate dialogue an email is the next step Mm-hmm. and it's it's short almost i think 9 times out of 10 the next step is hey let's meet one on one outside of this noisy networking event and i think that's usually planned via email after the networking event not at the networking event right and so yeah the email is pretty short it's hey great learning about your business you know it, first sentence something personal to them to show them you were listening to them second sentence do you want to meet for coffee uh third sentence you know, if if they are a lead, go ahead and send them a link to your website. If your website's set up to close people online, otherwise, you don't have to link to your website. You can tell them about what you're doing in person. And you know, not everyone's a lead. Sometimes these people will turn into mentors
0: mm-hmm.
1: or you know advisors, investors. Sometimes uh, maybe they'll turn into leads a year later. You just want to make sure to meet with the people that that you're attracted to and try to add value to to their lives. And the rest will absolutely fall into place.
0: Right, right. No, I think that's great advice, man, because all too often people don't know what to do when they are at an event, and they definitely don't know what to do once they leave the event. And, you know, that was one of the things I got, you know, from a feedback perspective from uh, from the uh, Financial Bloggers Conference of how friendly and how easy it was to talk to people. And mostly it's because everyone there is, you know, kind of in the same tribe. So there's no real, um, there's no apprehension as to, well, I'm not sure if this person is going to be interested in what I have to talk about. And I'm not sure if I'm going to be interested in what they have to talk about. Everyone there is sort of in the same industry. So it's a little easier for people to talk to people, but there are still people that, you know, in some feedback sessions and stuff like that, that would say, well, yeah, I came last year and I didn't talk to anybody. And the reason I didn't talk to anybody is because, you know, I was either afraid or I didn't know what to say. And then I didn't follow up with people. So I think the, you know, the advice that you're giving as far as, what to say, kind of how to follow up, reach out on LinkedIn, use LinkedIn as part of your whole networking, um, toolkit. So to say, you know, to get to that next level, they could be a lead. They could not be a lead, but it's definitely a valuable way to expand your network. Totally agree. So as we're, as we're wrapping it up, I, I did want to touch on social media a little bit. You're on Snapchat. I follow you on Snapchat and, um, have you seen snapchat be valuable to your business and or are you uh seeing instagram be more valuable between instagram stories and snapchat
1: ah that's a that's a good question well b- before i answer that question i have to disclose how how we find most of our clients uh most of our clients come in on our instagram marketing for personal brands where we we work with obviously uh, you know your name and your photo on instagram and we plug it into our marketing and we see huge results on instagram that could that where every single client is overwhelmed with clients trying to talk to them about what they're doing so i'm kind of biased towards instagram um (laughs) but our marketing does not involve instagram stories you know i think part of the reason people are loving snapchat and instagram and perhaps instagram stories too is because a brand a logo can't pick up the phone and take a selfie it has to be a person Mm -hmm. and i think I think it's for giving people like an inside view of what you're doing. You know, I'll, I'll get responses from strangers um, quite a bit. But honestly, it's really hard to get that dialogue over to email. It's, it's you know, it's, it disappears. As soon as you get more than 10 messages at a time, you're, you're forgetting people and they're not going to want to type what they just typed because it disappeared right away. So I don't know. I think it's fun. Um, mm-hmm. I, I still post. I try to post every day on Snapchat and show people kind of what we're up to. Um, I try to be rowdy because when I'm looking through other people's stories and I'm clicking through them really fast, I try to be rowdy and entertaining and not just talking really slow and calmly.
0: <laughs> right. So
1: I don't know, you know, the analytics to Snapchat are kind of new. I can tell you, you know, we always do geo filters for our events that we host here in Denver. Mm-hmm. We have these monthly pitch battles with my startup Denver group that has about 1700 members in it. And every month, four startups from the public apply to pitch. And we always do geo filters because they literally cost $5 for an evening. And um, if, we, if we're hosting the pitch battle at a venue that has an upstairs, it's reaching all the people in that tall building for $5. Now, the problem is you can really only measure impressions. And there's not really anywhere for people to click on Snapchat to then go and sign up or subscribe. So you know the top end of the funnel i think snapchat's one of the most affordable ways to to build that but um as far as tying that to you know the bottom of your funnel that's a little that's that's a challenge that's why it's hard to measure right now but i think it's a good time we're just kind of experimenting with it not spending too much money or time but definitely trying to stay up, up to speed as much as we can with it and with with instagram stories to answer your question on that i've posted there a few times but it's hard. I I really only do Snapchat and haven't really, you know, done done enough with Instagram stories to really say, I know I I get more views on my Snapchat than the few times I did Instagram stories. But again, views aren't always what matter.
0: Right, right, exactly. So, you know, one of the things, of course, you can do, um, is download your snaps and then upload them to Instagram because they don't put any type of, um, special filter around it. They don't make it look like it's not a native uh, upload to Instagram stories. So I know a lot of people that are popular on Snapchat that don't really like Instagram stories that much, but still want to see if they can get, you know, impressions on Instagram versus Snapchat. They'll, they'll just upload stuff to their download stuff to their camera roll. And then you can upload it to Instagram to see, you know, if you get a little bit more uh, traction there. So for me, every now and then I'll upload videos or something like that. Most of my stuff is behind the scenes. I I've strayed away from trying to do advice and stuff like that on either platform. It's mostly, you know, just some behind the scenes stuff, me going through everyday life just because just to connect to the audience and everybody else with, Hey, this is what I'm doing right now. (laughs) Every now and then I'll throw in something of value and I usually get more response because it's like, Oh, Whoa, wait, let me listen to that. And I I kind of copy Gary V's thing the way he does it. Although he go, you know, he's going through his day, showing you his day because that's what he does like all day, yeah. every day. It seems like twenty four hours a day. Yeah. Gary Vaynerchuk for everybody that doesn't know who Gary Vee is. But uh, yeah, no, I, I think I like what you're saying, and that's a really good idea is to buy a geo filter if you're going to be at a networking event.
1: Definitely, yeah, it's it's fun, you know, but but it's hard to measure the results and actually that's you know I heard Gary Vee talk at Digital Summit about networking in today's world and he you know he talked about Facebook ads and how that's kind of gotten a little bit more expensive but it's still a very good deal you know he he brought in some numbers there's like 85 billion a year spent on television advertising that has and there's no accountability there because there, there's not a way to tie that into what's converting you know it's old fashioned outdated marketing Mm-hmm. And with Facebook, you know, obviously with Facebook, you can take your top of the funnel all the way down to the bottom with the pixel on your website. If anyone hears into into it that much, but uh, but with Snapchat, you know, I think it's it's new. You know, staying on top of Snapchat is what Gary V would say is marketing in today's world, and that's what really stuck with me. I, you know,
0: right now, since you mentioned geo filters, I did want to ask real quick: What are you? How are you? designing those geo filters what are you using since they're only costing about five dollars if you geo filter just like the building and get real granular with it instead of trying to cover an entire area um what does it look like and have you gotten any rejected or can you be pretty targeted so that when people are using that geo filter you're you're actually going to get something out of it you know maybe possibly from them using it
1: yeah i i just don't know if i'd get anything out of it i mean I would definitely get brand awareness. Mm-hmm. You know, people definitely use it, and they po- might post it to their story, and then a lot of their friends see it. But I don't, I don't know. I mean, it might if they're thinking about being a customer, they might get a little bit more serious. But again, there's not a way to track that. I just, right. I, I feel like it's more for branding than marketing. Yeah, yeah I you was know?
0: wondering if Snapchat was given like any type of feedback on this. Is how many times your geo filter was used and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, they do. They show you uh, how many people used it. And then of those people that used it, how many people um, viewed it, you know, how many impressions it got.
0: Oh, well, that's interesting. Then that that gives you, you know, some idea of, well, you know, we're we're able to brand at this particular event and this many people saw it. So this many people are now exposed to our brand. Yeah, Now that's that's really interesting. I want to get into more Snapchat stuff to see if it's actually going to be worthwhile. Like you said, it's so new that it's hard to tell, but the brand awareness that you're getting from it, I'm sure is, uh, not even measurable at this point because I mean, people are discovering you, right? Definitely. How many people do you think you have following you on Snapchat?
1: Um, the most views I'll get is like 230 and, uh, you know, the average is probably 160 to 190. So not, not much. And you know, I, I will add one more point to Snapchat here. Um, I, I went on Quora.com. It's a place where you can ask questions and experts come in and answer them. Mm-hmm. And I went and answered a ton of questions about Snapchat, and a ton of my answers have gotten, you know, tens of thousands of views. And I get hit up probably probably every day from people who say, "Hey, I have a question on Snapchat. Can you answer it?" And, oh, nice. and um, I realized that that got my viewership up a little bit, mm-hmm. but you know, honestly, not even that much. You know, when I look at who views my stories, it's primarily strangers than friends now. Right. Where um, it used to be friends when that was a smaller number. So I got more people following me, but it turns out that people looking for answers on Snapchat don't necessarily care about networking and entrepreneurship. So um <laughs> but I was I was kinda curious, you know, because I think that's another a a good strategy to pull web traffic from Quora is answer questions about your niche. And um so yeah, that's that's a strategy that did work to increase my numbers, but again, numbers don't matter. Uh, you know, if you look at Instagram, the people who follow me there, I think I'm at I think I'm almost to nine thousand followers mm-hmm. using um, you know, our own Instagram marketing on my account. And um and those are people who are hashtagging entrepreneurship and startups. So we're seeing a lot more leads come from Instagram than Snapchat. Right and on Snapchat, I get screamed at sometimes if I'm out with a happy hour with a friend and you know I, I see someone message me on Snapchat, and they have this long message and and I respond, "Hit me up tomorrow They're like, "What the heck, man, you don't answer these questions for free twenty four seven and you know i I get myself in trouble with that, so yes, no, i I have a life, you know right. <laughs> please watch my stories, let me know about that. Let's talk about networking and entrepreneurship. if you're into that, I want to help you any way I can, but if, if you're not, I'm sorry. I just don't have the time to answer your questions all the time.
0: <laughs> right. That's <laughs> interesting. I wonder where it's going to go in six months. We we'll have. We may have to come back and revisit to see if it's become more valuable.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'll let you know if I find a way to tie it together. Right. And please, you do the same.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, man. I'm. It's definitely a, a good branding tool because I've seen a lot more activity on Snapchat, but I do think that people are still trying to figure out, at least that was the sentiment uh, this past weekend and it's been the sentiment over the past few weeks is, yeah, I've tried it. And then I uninstalled it, I do better on Instagram. <laughs> and so it's like, I wonder, I don't know, I'm still giving I'm still giving it a shot. I actually like Snapchat and the um kind of the instantaneous gratification that you get from doing a snap and then seeing people either screenshot it or view it and comment on it. But other than it being a, a fun tool, I'm not sure that for me, at least, and, you know, in my business and podcasting and digital marketing, that it makes too much of a difference or moves the needle as much as Instagram and Instagram stories.
1: Totally. Yeah. To try more with Instagram stories now. Tie it yeah. all together.
0: Right, right. Well, no, it's, it's been very, very fun talking to you, learning about networking. I think you dropped a ton of value with specifically how to, you know, network after events, because I think that's where everyone's hang up is, at least initially, and then they can, you know, follow up with you guys with more, I want to link to a couple of the blog posts that you have about, you know, how to network in and I know you've got a couple books out there, we'll also link to that in the show notes. Uh, I just wanted to thank you man for coming on the show. It's finally good to connect with you and you know, talk with you in person. Or- yes,
1: Vernon, it's been great. And you know, there is a book that I give away for free. It's just at slash free. So if any of your listeners in specific want to go and download that, they can have that. Um, you know, it's Handshaking Without the G. And that's also my handle on Snapchat and Twitter. Love to connect with anyone who's, who's in the networking or wants to grow their personal brand. And thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Listeners, thank you for your time. Um, you know, give Vernon a, a subscribe and a review if you haven't already because he's working hard trying to provide value for you guys. And, um, that's all I got handshaking out.
0: <laughs> hey, appreciate it, man. All right, folks. That was handshaking homes, Matt handshaking homes. I kind of want to say it like a boxing announcer, Matt handshaking Holmes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyway, guys, that was a fun interview to record. And, um, I can never get too much about networking, connecting and uh, meeting people and and doing some stuff. He's been doing able to do some really interesting stuff with the video slash podcast stuff that he's doing. Some big names. Uh, I've had a couple billionaires on, but you know, he's, he's had some big names on his podcast. I need to step my game up. I think we all need to step our game up after listening to Matt, but yeah, going out shaking hands and setting world records by doing it. That's just so much fun. And it's something you can always use for your business. And it definitely gives you some notoriety that most people just don't have. Very cool. Hope you got a lot out of that episode. Speaking of episodes, I was just recently on Chris Ducker's Youpreneur podcast. You should go take a look at that one or a listen to that one. Then go look at the show notes. Uh, Lots of fun stuff about the book. Uh, Of course, you guys know I wrote a book, Master Your Message talks about finding your voice in any situation. And I, I talk a lot about that and some of the concepts that are in the book, including the little exercise I go through when stuff is kind of creeping up on me to validate, Hey, are these fears real? Are they self-imposed? What's good? What's bad? Stuff like that. Um, you can get a free chapter on fear. Just go out to Vernonross.com forward slash book. I'm actually going to be enhancing that. It's going to be all online flipbook style where you can just flip through it. That's coming Podcast movement is coming. And by the way, if you want to launch your own podcast, you can just go out to podbean.com forward slash VR and you'll get 30 days free on me to try it out. Full account, full functionality. You could even submit it to iTunes if you're ready to launch and we'll just convert the account over. It is really simple and easy to use. Plus, there's some enhancements to the new Podbean listening app or Podbean app. Uh, That you can listen to the podcast on where it will skip past silences in a podcast like this. So now that that silence is there, the new app is actually going to speed up and skip over it. That is huge. I cannot wait to play around with that with my own show to see if there's some awkward pauses. And um, like I just did that on purpose, just some time to see whether or not it acts how good it actually is. I've seen it, of course, since I work with the team. But yeah, this is going to be some fun stuff. I cannot wait to to check it out. Also, catch me on Podcasting Smarter. Jennifer and I from Podbean, uh, we jump on the mic and we talk about some of the latest stuff that's coming out with Podbean. And some people have said, you know what? Hey, it's like a long Podbean commercial. Guess what? It's called Podcasting Smarter and it's by Podbean. Yes, we're going to talk about enhancements with Podbean and stuff in the industry so get over it Um, yes we talk about the service that we both help provide which has been amazing I couldn't be happier with uh, coming over to Podbean and I saw some really positive feedback from quite a a few users online about the service at Podbean I do everything I can to make sure that my customers are happy and I know from experience, which is why I'm even messing with Podbean, that they do the exact same thing. Because trust me, I would not be repping this brand if this brand was not worth repping. So enough of that. <laughs> anyway, looking forward to podcast movement coming up. I know that's the third or fourth time I said it, but I'm so happy. I love this time of year, conference season, when I get a chance to hang out with some of my friends in a different city other than St. Louis. And, you know, hey, that energy is fun. Being around a whole bunch of other people that think like you is amazing for creative energy and to help you get to that next level. You see things that people are doing. You're like, oh, man, I can do that or I can do this better or I just learned that. Or you get a chance to teach people stuff and you feel really good about it. So looking forward to all of that stuff. So happy to be back behind this mic on a consistent basis for my own podcast. I cannot tell you. Anyway, guys, I'm going to go ahead and get out of here. And you know what? I will see you in the next episode.